0: Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is a monthly podcast of three DMs helping each other out get their ga- with their games and letting you guys listen in. And we're going to jump right into it. Uh, I am uh, I'm celebrating a birthday on the day that we record this, so I'm going to start. Happy birthday! Yeah, hey, birth- because hey. that's the rule. The rule is is that if I have a birthday, I get to go first.
1: That's a good rule. Sure.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> Here's what's going on. Uh, it is the beginning of October, although listeners may not be listening to this in October, depending on how things go. We still have one in the can I haven't released. So Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> hope your Thanksgiving was fantastic. Happy Easter. <laughs> That's a- oh I hope not. <laughs> although, Cynicism. I, although I did just put out the the Gin Con episode this week.
2: I did, yeah. I enjoyed listening to myself. Well good. Totally ignore people's <laughs> questions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing It's, it's, it's October um, Back when we finished the 1 to 30 campaign And we started just trying to s- decide that we're going to do a bunch of other stuff I tried to convince my group to try out Gamer World um, Several of them were not on board at all And one of the hard sells sort of said You know what, that sounds like it'd be a fun game for Halloween So why don't we, we do a, a one or two session uh, Halloween adventure with Gamer World mm. and, I, and as we're approaching that time I'm like, okay, so I'll, now it's time for me to do that He said I could I'm not asking permission. I'm going to prepare a Gamma World game. Um, and traditionally in the past, when I had gaming groups like in high school and college and whatever, I would always run uh, Castle Ravenloft on, around Halloween. So it occurred to me, what if I did a Gamma World-Ravenloft mashup? Hmm. How do we put Gamma World into Ravenloft? Have crazy mutant things fighting the ultra-serious genius vampire Count Strahd. So that's the issues that I need to resolve is how do I mash up Gamma World and Ravenloft? Okay, Idea Factory, go.
1: Heavy industrial. No, I don't. <laughs>
2: Here's
1: I, the thing. I, no, go ahead, Mike. If you um,
2: so one of, the, one of the tricks that works pretty well with Gamma World is first picking a, a, a familiar place. Uh, something that would be familiar to you and to your, your your players. So if you have a city nearby or something like that and a particular landmark or a particular tower, maybe there's an old, you know, some kind of museum place or some kind of uh, historical area where you can set it that people will remember, you know, what, what place would seem right for uh, Ravenloft? You know, what would the you know, where would Strahd, whatever he's going to be. Where you know where would Strahd be lurking if it's in a post apocalyptic world?
0: Hmm, that's a good question because my original thought was that it would just be Barovia and Castle Ravenloft, sort of somehow plopped into a post apocalyptic world. But I could I could see Strahd – You know, I, I live in the capital. Maybe Strahd has taken up residence in the in the old uh, state capitol building. Exactly. Yeah, something like that. And then
2: remember that you know, Gamma World's a mashup of different versions of the world so it might not exactly be the capital maybe it was the capital from a time when vampires ruled over the 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 planet you could uh you watch uh um true blood at all no oh you should have watched that show if you had watched that show you'd have everything you need but um yeah i mean imagine that there's a all i'm just throwing ideas around of course um imagine well, you that could you have just watch blade you could do yeah. that too you could watch blade <laughs> yeah but um I mean, imagine that you have a United States government where they were all vampires. You know, vampires are the ones that go to office and vampires are the ones that run, um, you know, run the government. And then uh, that world got mashed up with, you know, whatever, a million different versions of a million other worlds. But Mm. that their particular city, that particular city is still, you know, run by Strahd and his vampires and, and the humans are just barely scraping by. Not to get too, uh, you know, if you don't want to get too much to local news, you could, you could, you could, you know, kind of look at okay, well, what's the class system that exists between humans and vampires, and vampires are
0: politicians. Mm-hmm. And I can like, even, yeah. I can even see bringing in as you as you discuss more and more, of this bringing in a little bit of uh, Vampire the Masquerade sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. You know that Strahd is the Duke of North Carolina. Yeah, exactly.
2: And yeah, in True Blood, they have sheriffs. Right, and the sheriffs are of the different regions in, in the United States. So, mm-hmm. you know, so Sheriff lo- of Louisiana and whatnot.
0: The, the local school board are, are a bunch of rival werewolves.
2: Yeah, exactly. Know? Right, right. So you can kind of have fun with politics mixed with, with a monster mashup. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the nice thing is that also, you know, if you can get a map of that place, then you've got a map ready to go too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can just use the exact same thing. You know, crypts in the basement and, instead of offices and...
0: You know, you could have a lot of fun there, or you could just grab Ravenloft's map and use Ravenlofts Yeah, you know, or take use, take the most iconic elements of Ravenloft's map and stick it into locations in the actual sure, capital sure. building. Or yeah,
2: and like the, the the witches and or the hags could all be you know maybe local personalities that your your group might know. Mm-hmm. Um, the
1: Water cooler is not filled with water,
2: right? Great. Um, yeah, that'd be great—a blood cooler. Yeah, you know, blood warmer. Exact. Warmer. Yeah, blood warmer, yeah. Blood warmer <laughs> instead of a water cooler. You've got to keep yeah, it from coagulating, got. after all. And they could come up and they'd be like a bunch of vampire, you know, vampire bureaucrats, kind of hanging <laughs> yeah. out, you know, talking about, and they're like, oh, you yeah. know.
0: they're almost literal human leeches. Yeah,
2: <laughs> get your game face on. They're here. You know, throw a little so, Warren Zevon on the uh, on the
1: radio or on the music there, and yeah. the Werewolves of London. So.
2: Yep. Yeah, there I think that I think that could be a lot of fun. That's cool.
0: I like that idea. You, um, now, you've learned a lot of Game World. What do I use for vampires? Are there, are there monsters? I mean, use vampires, man. You use know, the, the great thing about Gamma World is that the stats all work.
2: Okay. So you can use creatures right out of... I have them looking in my, my monster vault here. Um, uh, so the, the only problem you might have is level. I don't know if you want to... Because vampires are high level in this thing. Mm-hmm. You could delevel level them, but I don't know if they'll delevel level real well. You could also up-level the, the characters if you wanted to. I think Gamma World could go up to level 10. But if you are is this going to be a one-shot or
0: is this going to be more than one that, week? That, that was going to be my other issue to deal with is that I, play, I run very, very few one-shots. Right. And I'm not quite sure how to do this and make sure it stays a one-shot and that we can get the story done in one session. So are you going to do a one-shot? That's the plan, yeah. Okay. So
2: um, obviously your storyline has to be pretty straight. Right and you kind of want your elevator speech and,
0: and, and, you know again. well the, the the classic the classic straw to storyline is um there is a woman in town who resembles his great lost love and he's kidnapped her and now everybody needs to go and save her so i can always play off of that classic story right. that's already <laughs> part of the ravenloft mythology and you can use
2: uh so so there's a million there's a good selection of monsters in the gamma world box that you can use but then you can also use some of the level 1 2 and 3 guys uh, Gamma World characters are, it's, it can be swingy, um, with them. They can drop
0: pretty quickly. They can also throw out a lot of damage. So battles tend to go pretty quick in Gamma World. Well, and it's a Halloween thing, right? So if everything is, is very skills-based and role-playing based up until sort of a big final encounter and they, and they all die and there's a TPK, I feel okay about that because it's Halloween. Sure.
2: Sure. Uh, the zombies in the Monster Vault
0: are great. Uh, I've used them
2: before in Gamma World and they work just fine. Okay uh skeleton i'm i'm ripping through the book here uh skeletons also there's great decrepit minion level one minion skeletons those work um what other kind of what would be a good so you probably want like a level five as your strod you'd want something relatively beatable uh and i'm kind of looking through here. Blazing Skeleton might work for him. You know, that would be kind I'm just, of I'm
0: just waiting to see how my uh, min-maxer reacts to Gamer World, where he can't min-max because everything's random. Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> it, it kind of, yeah. Uh, I always, I tell you, I always love reskinning dragons into, um, you know, villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the young white dragon is a level three solo brute. The young black dragon is a yellow four. That probably works better because it's a lurker. Mm-hmm. And then, so let me take a look at that with like black, black Dragon here. Um, and I would, you know, you could play it straight out of this book if you wanted to. Uh, it's a big stat block, but, you know, so Breath Weapon might be a cloud of bats. You know, the claws and the bites all work. Shr- mm-hmm. Shroud of Gloom works perfectly. Uh, you can
1: the, even add some kind of tech element instead of claws. You know, you could make them
2: yeah, so cyber would- claws <laughs> or whatever, sure. you know. Yeah. Got it. Maybe he's got something, you know, some kind of technology that's letting him do that breath weapon. Sure. Instead of a vampire thing. Uh, the Shroud of Gloom is so a lot of the Black Dragon stuff is all acid, but you could just switch that over to necrotic or you could add an energy component if you want to give him some kind of tech. Mm-hmm. The tech might work better in, in flavor than it would necessarily in mechanic. The mechanics, but a young black dragon, I think, would work well. It'd be tougher, a group of level ones, but they could probably take them out.
0: Well, for a final fight and whatever, that'd be fine.
2: Sure. Um, yeah, it's a good... I've, I've I've reskinned dragons before into Gamma World bosses, and, and they're scary and, and fun. Uh, what would be some of the other? So that, you know, zombie skeletons, and that, and you've got a good selection of monsters. You could do a lot of minions just so they get some nice fights that aren't totally crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you could fit the storyline, but it might be kind of fun. I don't know if there's any interesting local politics going on.
0: It's usually just stupid stuff with the school board.
2: Yeah. But I mean that, you know, the idea of the school board versus city hall might be fun. Yeah. So, you know, that, that would be, that could be a a good plot. You know, Gamma World's always zany. And then the other thing you got to remember that your character, the characters, um, not to get a lazy dungeon master on you, but the Gamma World character selection thing is going to be so crazy that you don't want to define too much of the story until they've built their characters. Right. So if you kind of start with just by saying, okay, you know, there's your monsters, Uh, you have a real loose plot line, then, you know, maybe you want to have a couple ideas about encounter locations and just leave it and let the story
0: roll when you run it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to do a little bit of that and and just see how it goes. I'm also wondering if I know you like integrating sort of the the fiasco relationship um, style into character creation for for games. And I wondered if I didn't do some, if I couldn't do something like that, but specifically design several of them to tie into a storyline concept to sort of you know maybe lead them in that direction. Right. You know that you know. Lot of things like the person to your left is responsible for you losing your your great love, and you know maybe that's the girl that ends up being the the and that kind of stuff. Sure,
2: sure, yeah. I mean, you could you could you could start that way. Um, I'm, I was trying to see if there's a fiasco, um, a fiasco module that does like horror or or anything mm-hmm. like. That. You could- but you
1: but you know what you may not even have to do a relationships thing for a one or two off game. You, I mean, which may overcomplicate it. If you want to do something, you know, think of the if you you mentioned the school board thing earlier. Think of like an, a Halloween monster mash ball,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you could you could you could figure out some kind of plot surrounding that, or the characters have to, mm. you know, this great ball won't take place unless the players do X, or something's threatening this great monster mash, or mi-
0: or maybe they've been invited to the monster mash and the kidnapping happens while they're there.
1: And that either way, yeah, something like that as well. And mean, so.
0: meanwhile, there's this this constant threat and menace of half the school board hates the other half the school board because you know the, all the Democrats are werewolves and all the Republicans are vampires.
1: If <laughs> you want to throw the politics in there, sure.
0: Well, that's <laughs> that, that's how that's how things roll over here. That's what i that's what I'm saying. All right. Yeah, I mean,
2: actually, I think the fiasco-style relationships, if you keep them relatively simple, work really well for one-shots because just. For the very fact that you're not going to have time to really define those relationships throughout the game and you want to have some kind of start up front.
0: Yeah, I thought it worked pretty well in the in the, uh, Gamer World game that you ran. And, cool. and I felt like it was just – everything is so randomized when you're creating a Gamer World character that this is just one more random element of my character that I got to integrate into this right. mashing up ideas to come up with a concept. Right.
1: That's true. You know,
0: I ended up creating my brain in a jar, but I wouldn't have done that if i hadn't had the relationship of um, I was the father of these two other things, which yeah. you know was then okay well it 's okay to give myself a speed of zero because I have these things that I created to carry me around. It completely changed the way I developed my character. Yeah, so you could you could kind of say, like, if you've got your main setting areas, you know, wherever
2: you plan to start it, wherever you plan to end it, which I assume is the city hall, and then you've got the vampires and you've got some other things, then you can use those to build, like, a list of 12 relationships, you know, that you, you know, were fired from city hall for some bureaucratic bullshit. Oh, sorry. for some bureaucratic nonsense.
0: <sighs> now I got to mark this one explicit. Because I'm not editing. <laughs> That's what you have. Uh, Sam. Um, I, I, I didn't want to – when we started the show. I didn't want to give him more work to do, so I I added, <laughs> I added this one. And, uh, and, by, and by I added this one, I mean I put the music at the beginning of the game and throw the ads in. <laughs>
2: um, so you know, you got fired from there, or your your son was, you know, your, your your sibling was kicked out of school for you know making a pointy finger into a gun because of a city hall regulation, mm-hmm. and you know you could kind of add all these little fun. Things they all have to work with the fact that you might be talking to a yeti rat swarm. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so but, th- but that's to...
0: just part of the course in game world.
2: It is, but you, you just you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to build a relationship that wouldn't work with whatever the weirdest combination of of uh, origins is in mm-hmm. game world. Right on. Uh, but that gives you the quests up front too. Then you know because you kind of want to jump right into the game, the quests can be based on those random things, and then you don't even know what they are, which really makes you think on your feet and prevents you from having to. Uh, um, build a whole lot
0: right on i think i've got some good ideas cool i'm I'm ready to go i've already started working i got notes and i started putting out my uh relationship chart and all that awesome So I'm, i'm ready ready to build uh but and before we move on to our next person who's going to be mike heads up uh, we need to mention our first sponsor. That is Continue Magazine has returned for another quarter. Continue Magazine at continuemag.com is an online quarterly magazine. They've just recently put out issue three. Plus, they've, they've improved their technology so that you can now – it's easier to download PDF versions and get them on your various e-readers and what have you. Um, So I should encourage everybody to go check out Issue 3, and I'm told you should be looking out for Issue 4 here in the next few months, and it's going to be a D&D-focused issue. So there. Cool. Excellent. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com And we're back. Mike.
2: So uh, I am running a D and D next playtest using the most current version of the playtest rules that have been out in the public. Uh, I am I have set it in the Lazar Principalities. Uh, my wife wanted to play in Eberron, so that's where we set it. And I originally went with the idea that we were going to do the uh, Scourge of the Slave Lords uh, series. And uh, so at Gen Con, I picked up the four Slave Lord modules uh, A one through A four. And uh, very good Just my grognard grognard heart good. Yes. (laughs) Very happy. Uh, And my group kind of got to a point where only one of them are like, eh, I'm kind of interested in slaves. But I'm more interested in dragon shard hunting and I'm more interested in these strange Dekhani ruins that we're going after. So I'm like, okay, I guess we won't really have a whole lot of slave lord stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Your
1: players don't know what's good for them
2: yeah i'm also i'm also running this pretty off the cuff i'm I'm doing as little preparation as i can and and I can talk about some of the weird like anti preparation stuff where i do way i do a whole lot of work and then i tear it all down because i did too much work uh, <laughs> so it's being lazy is very hard uh uh so there's kind of three main uh you know goal you know, questy kind of lines that the group has sort of resonated around. Uh, I use the fiasco style relationships. So a lot of these are based on the relationships that they establish with one another. And that got really complicated because we had like three members that weren't at the first game. And then adding them in meant that some people had three relationships. And then when you throw on race, class, background, and theme. That meant that people had, like, race, class, background, theme, relationship one, relationship two, and relationship three. So they're, they had, you know, a novel wow. of weird, complicated stuff. And finally, with some of the last people, we just ignored them. We just said, like, well, you can do that if you want, but if it doesn't make any sense, we'll just throw it away. Um, but in some cases, they, they worked really well. And in some cases, actually, um, the backgrounds have worked really well. People are really using their backgrounds a lot. I'm not crazy about themes. I kind of agree with... Uh, um, Dave, Dave talked about. Uh, yeah. in 4E. I think it's you know, I think it's too much. I think background is enough. Uh, so the or theme main- is enough without background, but change theme so that it's more encompassing of everything. So have anything that touches on what a class would already do.
0: Well, right? and, and I've and I yeah, you know, that's sort of where along the lines of what I've been talking about recently is that uh, as they add more and more of these things o- over time, class becomes less and less important. Yeah, you know, and and that's been true of every edition. Every edition of the game so far has de-emphasized the importance of class, which is odd because class is probably the the most iconic thing about D and D. So yeah, some some people have pretty complicated relationships, but most people have
2: worked with them pretty well. Some some are keeping them simple. Some are really getting into their character, and that's all working out. So there's main three main quest areas that are that they've kind of resonated around. One is hunting dragon shards, which seems to be their most interesting thing. Dragon shards are kind of these magical crystals that are spread across all of uh, all of the uh, uh, Corvair and all of the the world of Eberron. And there are three types, the sky ones, the land ones, and the underground ones. And I don't remember what the sky ones are called, but the land ones are called Eberron crystals, and the lower ones are called Kyber crystals. And I don't remember what the upper-level upper ones are. So there's... Sybaris. Sybaris. Yeah. Sybaris, yeah. yeah. I don't know how
1: it's pronounced either. <laughs>
2: So early on, they went and, uh, into a cobalt cave and they found an idol in the cave, the idol. And it's interesting. They actually found the idol in between sessions in an email that I sent to them. Uh, but they found, because I wanted to add this whole, now that I got the idea that they're interested in Dakani ruins, I was like, I want to add a Dakani ruin thing. So they're going to be seeking these idols. They need three. They have one, they have two and so on and so forth. Um, in the last couple of sessions, they have the city that they've been lurking around is called Port Verge, which is in the islands of the Lazar Principalities on the eastern shores of Corvair. And uh, I decided that I wanted a little bit of a Greyhawk feel to it. So I put a well in the center of the uh, town that you know people have gone into and have found some riches, but most people come out crazy and most people die and never come back out at, at all. And it's, you know, my, what I envisioned was a 20 level dungeon, old school, you know, Balor's walking around the bottom level sort of dungeon. So they could go down as far as they wanted to go. If they, you know, if they decided we're kind of done dealing with politics, we're just going to go dungeon delving. Then they could just go down and and keep going down level by level. Uh, They went down, they eventually got down to level one after some politics and stuff like that. And got betrayed by the realized that they were betrayed by the constable who they bribed to send them down there in the first place. And it turned out he was a agent of the slave Lords. Like a, he was like a a lackey of the slave Lords. And his job was to get adventurers to go down there so that the slave Lords could grab people up and enslave them. Um, so a bunch of were rats attack them. And then there was a slave Lord priest guy who the were worked for to grab up the adventurers. They killed them all. Realize the betrayal, but then also realize that one level lower than that is a place known as the Crypt of Arisus Crast. And Arisus Crast is this, um, uh, Dakani hobgoblin warlord who ruled over the eastern shores using amphibious, giant amphibious, uh, uh attack vehicles that could both sink ships in the water and then roll up onto the shore and, and lay siege to castles. Um... So the last adventure was them going through this crypt. And I decided I wanted to go theater of the mind with the whole thing. And I decided that after I would already prepped all the maps. So I- <laughs> of course you did. Oh, man. And then said, I don't want to do maps. So I tore all the maps down. Uh, but I did have one hand-drawn map of the final chamber, which is this massive chamber. And I said, like, yeah, but I really want to see what it's like to do theater of the mind for the whole thing. So we did a theater of the mind a whole adventure last night. And, um... I really I did very little work like writing stuff down on paper or anything like that but I thought about it an awful lot and what I thought about was you have this seafaring warlord and it it's his crypt and there's a bit of an Egyptian theme which which Michelle figured out about halfway in that he was buried down there with all of his slaves that he used to kind of you know pilot these big ships. So I have this slave theme that's kind of even 20,000 years across still exists in this place. And um, so I said, okay, well, if I'm doing theater of the mind, I'm going to go big, right? Because now I'm not limited by maps. I can do whatever I want. So I had like the first chamber they went into was 200 feet wide and 100 feet high. It's this massive burial chamber. chamber, And in the center is this huge pyramid of corpses of the dead slaves that had tried to crawl their way out of this place and climb on top of one another to get out and never did. and Yeah, and then there's a mural that goes around the entire wall that had been carved over like 500 years of his exploits, you know, as a, as a, as a warlord. And because the, the, you know, it was this incredibly detailed thing, but it was 100 and, you know, 150 feet high and, you know, all the way around the, the circumference of this room. So uh, then it turned out their idol, the one that they got from the other place, was the key. Uh, they also heard a deep rumble. Uh, I'm running out of time, aren't I? Um, You're doing okay. We haven't, we, we haven't even had half an hour yet. So uh, one of the things I wanted to do was I, I said, okay, well, first of all, let's see, this is 300 feet under the surface of the town, and it's a seafaring town, which means it's like 230 feet below sea level right next <laughs> to it, which means it should be underwater, right? Wow. But, well, what if... What if that you know the Dakani the, the were good at building? I'm making some of this up, but some of this comes from the lore of Eberron. That the Dakani were good at building like massive war machines, right? And their then they were like you know not quite steampunky, but you know they knew how to build giant mechanisms. So they've actually built pumps and huge water wheels that are taking water that would normally pour into the crypt and actually run these, like, 2,000-ton 2, stone wheels that are spinning continually. And those wheels actually can, you know, be used as mechanisms to reset traps and to open and close doors and to do all kinds of mechanical stuff throughout this dungeon. And it would last for 20,000 years because everything is so big mm-hmm. that any kind of being worn down by saltwater or any kind of rust or anything like that wouldn't matter because, you know, rust on a chain that's, you know what things the doesn't do. um so that kind of worked as as the group kind of explored and they saw a big crack in the wall and they saw this giant water wheel from the you know they were inside but the crack on the wall meant they could see outside and see this giant channel of water pouring past that's moving this huge stone wheel and they realized wow that wheel is actually making these doors open and close isn't it you know and all these traps that are here, this thing can reset them if they go off because the, 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 this wheel. You know, there's two of them, one on each side, and um, you know they got to a puzzle where they had to use they had to decode Dakani ruins runes that are on the floor to figure out a word puzzle that was basically you have to step on the panels that say enter or else you know you'll get smashed by a giant potato masher thing, and they figured that out. And the fun thing about that is I thought about that, but I never wrote anything up. So I wrote up the puzzle. On the spot, with a you know dry erase marker on the uh, board in front of me, and somehow managed to get a, a puzzle to work that I didn't screw up and that they actually figured out and no one died. Uh-huh. Uh, so then they got the final and they opened it up, other two hundred foot t- chamber, and it's got two full sized amphibious warcrafts that had been torn apart and then rebuilt in this place just for this guy's tomb. Mm-hmm. And again, I was like, you know, this is something you wouldn't normally do. And you couldn't do in Dwarven Forge. You know, you couldn't, you could, but it would cost you $800. And, um, you know, there's just this huge chamber. And right before they, and they saw the the, the the second idol that they were looking for sitting on a podium in the center. It's the Kyber idol. They have the Eberon idol. And the third one is the, what, what'd what you call it? Sybris. Sybris yeah. idol. Which they, yeah, they, they know is now on the Isle of Dread, uh, which is probably where they're going to head next. And they might head next. I don't know where they're going to go. But that's where it is. So, yeah. So they were just about to grab the idol, and the game stopped um, right because of time. So, so, uh, did,
0: so did they shut down those water wheels?
2: There's, I don't know how they could. I mean, okay. it's a thousand pound water wheel with you know ocean flowing past them that's moving them. So they're sure. gonna.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it, the, the only reason I ask is that you could also add in a really interesting complication because one of the common themes in Eberron is that these these massive, ma- you know, seemingly magical sort of steampunkish sort of transportation devices and things are all, are all uh, elementally powered, right? So mm. th- even these water wheels and things could be constantly being maintained by bound water elementals that are also helping channel the, the water into the right areas and whatever. Um, and so, you know, congratulations. You've turned off the water wheel uh, and stopped all the traps from resetting and all that kind of stuff, except now you've unbound all the water elementals. Yeah. one One thing I tried to avoid with this one and one thing that I had been – continually thinking
2: about and tend to like to do in things like this is I like them to almost make scientific sense rather than magical sense. Mm-hmm. Cause it's pretty easy to say like, you know, the, the, you know, somebody's cast an anti-gravity spell that, you know, turns on and off to lift doors, but it's something else when you have like a mechanical system that opens and closes doors. Sure. To the actually not have a lot of magic.
0: Right
2: on. And no, they cool. Yeah. Well, so like- it stands to reason that
1: even in a, in a world that uses magic, where that replaces a lot of science or let's say electricity in this case, where you're talking about antigrav, if you have
2: a manual override
1: that's always a good idea
2: mm-hmm. yeah and, and I already hosed it up because the the idols opened up the doors through a magical thing, like the the crystals in the eyes of the idol activated the door the door would roll open as a giant counterweight would pull and you'd hear this click as the wheel starts sure.
0: to open the door. well and, and again, you could justify that very easily i mean what in my understanding i 'm not an ever an expert by any means, but th- th- with this binding of elementals is usually i mean it's it's really to take the science and explain how the power source works because they don 't have a traditional sort of mechanical power source typically right uh, and so there could still be a pr- primarily mechanical thing, but maybe the the idols triggered an elemental you know switching from one you know make, pulling a switch or whatever so that it activated this one thing or, or what have you so there's some level of intelligence that that explains how that works. Right. You know, It's the replacement for a circuit board. Yeah, exactly, right. And yeah, I don't, I don't look at
2: the history to say like, well, when did that magic kind of take place? Because the Dakani stuff is all two twenty thousand years earlier than the current day. So I, I don't know if most of the ability yeah. for the magic tech took place during the human empire. Like humans weren't even around when this whole Dakani empire yeah, was. You're, right.
0: you're well outside of my, my area of knowledge of everyone now. I just kind of assumed like, okay, most of the
2: modern magical stuff has happened since then and the the Connie had to kind of do it the hard way but maybe they have some kind of primitive or or primordial magic that they just started using before they were wiped out by the um aberrants from the far realm Mm -hmm. um one thing that i was kind of figuring out is okay this is only level two of what i consider to be a 20 level dungeon (laughs) Them to kind of have the option to go to level three, and I've got an idea for level three already, which is going to be slimes and oozes and you know, kind of nasty critters. But I thought it'd be kind of interesting if the way they got there was by riding the current of one of those big water channels, like a big log ride at an amusement park, avoiding huge tw- 20, you know, 2,000 pound water wheels so they don't get crushed. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of land in the lake below. But I think like eventually they're going to get down. They'll be like five or six hundred feet down, and
0: I don't know how they'd ever get back out again. Yeah. Oh well, that's that's a, that's a problem for another day, isn't it? <laughs> that's they, they 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 almost literally dug themselves that hole.
2: Yeah. Well, they have a way out of this one. I mean, they've got a big long rope that takes them to the second to level one, and then sure. they can. They, they've already found tunnels that'll take them out, so I figure they can always find some ways of getting out. But that would be, and maybe I'll just not—I won't know—and I'll just ask them. Well, yeah, I right would. Oh, is there this thing? I don't know. Maybe.
0: And again, honestly, if if they're willing to say, well, the only way we know of getting down is this 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 log ride, and we don't know how we're getting back, and they still go down, then then that's on them. And they went
2: down, right. <laughs> and down there. Uh, I also have some politics that are going on up in in Port Verge, um, and I've, I'm just you know again kind of saying okay, well they have like three or four contacts that are up there. What are each of those guys up to while the party's exploring this dungeon below? And and I have an interesting thing that's again I'm, I'm not quite railroading it towards slavers, but I just like the the theme of the slavers. And the idea there is that a ship that has the flags of Port Verge crashes and or comes back as a wreck, destroyed by a rival principality and it turns out that it was full of slaves so now it turns out like somebody somewhere is crooked and has been and if the party comes back out they might be sent on a mission to go investigate what's going on um so there's you know interesting little npc dynamics going on up above that they're not yet aware of until they come back out of the dungeons and depending on how long they're down there those (laughs) keeping continuing moving on they might come up and see something completely different. So I'm enjoying cool. that as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, question wise, they're in this big chamber. They're 300 feet below the surface above. Uh, there's these huge dragon heads that are pouring waterfalls, you know, hundreds of thousands of gallons of water down uh, into these water channels that then fuel the whole rest of the place. There, there's going to be a big battle I guess we could do a little bit of the design of the battle, if Michelle can't hear it. But I want to do a big battle the last time, because one of the one of the comments I got is I had three players that were both like, oh, this is great. It was fun to explore. It was really this evocative scene. And and then I had um, my, my friend Mike, who was playing. Um, he was the one that had the flu. And he said, you know, I felt like we spent two and a half hours walking down a hallway.
1: <laughs>
2: this is a beautiful hallway, and there's lots of stuff to see. But that's pretty much what happened. And Michelle said, you know, we had one battle tonight, and... I went to let the dog out, and I missed it.
1: <laughs>
2: it was so short. And it was. It, you know, they, they fought eight skeletons, and they wiped out the skeletons with a big... And of assault.
0: course, that's the trouble with your thousands-of-year-old dungeon, right? Is that you have to figure out monsters that can still be around.
2: Yeah, and, and I've got monsters that can be around. And I had kind of an idea for one or two chambers that they might run into, but then I was kind of like, oh, I'll get them to the final chamber.
0: Um, but eventually, you know... Um Undead and, and constructs get a little old, right? And your next level is is slime, which makes sense as well. Yeah. So here's here's the
2: question that I'll ask. So I've, they haven't done anything yet in this chamber, and they were reaching for the idol as the scene ended, right? So if you imagine, if you go back twenty thousand years to a time when Arisus is Arisus cra- oh God, Aris's crafts uh people buried him down there. You know what would they have left them with that would protect him from tomb robbers and stuff in his own chamber. (laughs) A fun multi-part battle for the group to to engage in next week.
0: One of the areas I always try to think about, or one of the areas of inspiration I always try to to tie into when I'm thinking about Eberron is Indiana Jones. So my, my immediate thought is um, the, the lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, right? So they grab the idol and, you know, their faces melt and, Rates and spirits jump out and that kind of thing. That could yeah, that, be, that could be a protection.
2: Yeah, I, I want to have like the the dusty bones. I mean, my my initial thought is I want them to fight the skeletal guardians of Prast, like mm-hmm. his eight lieutenants, and they would kind of reform. But I, you know, the idea of like skeletons walking around in armor, swinging swords, kind of bores me a little bit. Um. And I don't really have anything for Krast himself. I don't. I don't know what I would have him as. And the, and the playtest is relatively limited with what it's got.
0: Well, see, I, th- I think it'd be interesting. To, you know, they expect to fight Krast. What if he's just dead? Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, Krast just never shows up. He stays in his in his tomb. They're going to get a nice magic sword too. It'll
2: be the first time they get a magic sword if they if they survive.
1: You know, Mike. One of the things you could pattern it after is the um, is the dwar from uh, uh, Skyrim. Right. Yeah. That fits really well with um, Eberron, and at least elements of Eberron. And some of those things have been around for like thousands of years, too. You know, so it, it, it. Traps, but not ones that would destroy the area if set off, or they could be reset, or they could go idle until they're activated. Mm-hmm. You know, which is. Those are just some thoughts off what, the top of my head. What, as far what
0: as, if the. Um... What if whatever minions or guardians you have also use the tactic of going over and messing with the, the water wheel and the whole place starts to flood? I thought about that. I thought about having something or, or the chamber itself starts to flood. All right.
1: Actually, all right. That's a good idea. So that
0: way now, now it's not so much a challenge of can you win this fight? Now it's a challenge of can you do what you need to do before you all drown? Yeah. Tough part is my, I know
2: I have two people that are like, we, we want to fight something.
0: Well, and they can be fighting while they're not drowning, too. I mean, somebody's going to have to hold back all those, those creatures and guardians. Right, right. And
2: then what would that do to the rest of the chamber if it floods? I guess nothing, except you got the, the, the body of
0: Krast is sitting on a throne. And if it
2: submerged, he would float around and stuff.
0: Well, and he could be attached to the throne. And now they're having to dive down and try to swim down to him you know and now you're using three dimensional combat and and all that kind of stuff which works out better in theater of the mind than it does on a map.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
0: Just to explore that uh, avenue a little bit th- th- further, you know.
2: Right. Right. I think I might uh yeah, I don't know if I'm going to have him fight I I I like I I kind of dig the idea that they're not going to fight crafts that craft is just a skeleton mm-hmm. now. But that there's these guardian things. Um oh there's a white I didn't see that. They, those might be
0: yeah.
2: usable. Yeah, level three elites. So those might work. I'll have to look at that. Um, I, also, I, I don't know what to do with these big boats. Like there's these big, huge ships that are inside of his chamber that are, you know, he was buried with because they were his ships.
0: Well, all the better if it floods, right? You can, yeah. you can suddenly turn it into a naval fight if, yeah. if their chamber is so big. They can have
2: to jump from ship to ship. They try, they, they
0: try to commandeer one and then you end up with a, with a, a naval battle.
2: Ooh, I could, I could. Steal. Yeah, no, that would be cool if the ships actually floated. I could, if they
1: float when the thing starts to flood. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: And I could steal a little bit of uh, um, Goonies and have the ships actually escape.
0: You know, somehow get out of the chamber.
2: And well, oh
0: yeah. When when they finally fix the thing and the water starts to drain again, that's then their log ride. Oh, the boats. Yeah, the, they just ride the boat down to the next level. That might work. I don't know uh,
2: the the channel itself. I don't know is quite big enough for the whole boat, but that might be. It, well, it can be
0: now. All right, <laughs> <laughs> All right.
2: Or parts of the ship break off.
1: Yeah. And it just gets shot through there, and and they're left clinging to whatever little bit of decking can survive the trip.
0: Or again, at A La Goonies, the channel crumbles and and right, and widens exactly. and opens yeah. up. You know, it just bursts on through.
2: Right. <laughs> Going on a giant log ride. I really dig that.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and the boat, like, the, the boat's got these giant steel dragon heads on the front that mm. they used to ram other boats. Yeah. could easily break through the wall.
0: Sure. And, me, and and depending on how things were proceeding, I mean, th- it could it could start draining the water before the fight's over. So now they might be log riding on these giant war boats and still fighting the wights or, or wraiths or whatever it is. Kind of like them to make the choice of whether they want to get
2: back out to Port Verge or whether they want to.
0: Sure, you could you could give them that. You know, maybe the the two boats start to part ways at one point. And they got to decide which one they're going to jump on, and one of them's going down the channel, and one of them's going to just, just sort of get stuck up above. Yeah, yeah. But then, yep. you, but then you miss that cool opportunity to have them do the log ride. Yeah, or they
2: could kind of say like, "Oh, I can always come back and do the log ride." You know, like if I could get us so that it doesn't happen right away, that they have their way out. But they know that all we have to do is hop on this thing and pull this giant chain because the boats are chained down. So they can actually cross the chains and then that would ride down to the lower level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, I'm done.
0: Good. (laughs) Uh, We're going to take another quick break to mention our returning sponsor, Noble Knight Games uh, at noblenight.com. And every time we talk about Noble Knight, we pick a a product – Noble Knight specializes in finding out-of-print things, but they also carry new things. And I've chosen Mike to choose our Noble Knight product pick of the episode. So, Mike, what would you pick? So tonight's pick is the Slave
2: Pits of the undersea- of the Undercity. Uh, this is the adventure I was talking about earlier, and I still think I'm going to end up going back to this one way or the other. Uh, this is Module A1. It was published in 1980, and you can get it for $10 at Noble Knight Games. It's
0: super cheap for something that's that out-of-print.
2: Yeah, and that's cheaper than I bought it for when I bought it at Gen Con. Well, don't you feel silly? Um, a lot of D&D Next stuff seems to be taking you know taking a look back at the way D&D used to be back in the 70s and 80s. And to read a module like this, you really get a feel for the sort of thing they're shooting for with Next. Although there's a lot of, as they refer to it, tech in D&D Next that make, makes it feel more like 4E a little bit. Uh, adventures and modules are really starting to feel a lot like these old ones and they're very playable with next so uh picking up some of these old modules this one uh the the uh um against the giants series um uh uh you know temple of elemental evil all of those things now the, seem to
0: the original ravenloft module
2: yeah, the original ravenloft module which would be perfect for your uh game
0: well it, it, I, I was kicking myself i i have it I, I, it's what I use for years. I have the second edition version as well. I have the the third edition version, but I always go back to that original module. And as I pulled it out, I, I think somewhere in my move to, to North Carolina five years ago, I lost the cover. Oh no! And that's oh, where the and, that, and that's where the maps are. <laughs> so now, that was one of the first isometric maps, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So and that was so, a sweet isometric. So map. now I've got the 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 whole module, but no cover no, and no maps. Yeah. I found tough. I found the maps online, so I can I can still play it, but it's it sucks not to have that cover. So that's the thing, right? Like I've I've you
2: know, through crafty methods people can try to get digital copies of some of these things and Watsi, I think, said they were gonna start to release these in digital, mm-hmm. but it's really different to hold one in your hands. You know, when okay. I got when I got the um Temple of Elemental Evil one and it had like old handwritten notes and it smelled like cigarettes and you know, you really want that feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. Cigarettes And you can get that through noblenight.com Tell them that the Tome Show sent you Or, I guess we're behind the DM screen But tell them that the Tome Show sent you So they get the message Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs Of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997 A huge selection of over 30,000 unique products Including discounts on most in-print games Of up to 50% off or more Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. All right. Randall. Yes. You've got... 18, 17 minutes and six seconds.
1: Go. Shouldn't be a problem. Well, as you all know, I've been running my um, uh, Riven campaign, which is uh, based on the worlds of Myst. Uh, uh, And so uh, if you remember last time and what I talked about at Gen Con during the Gen Con episode was that the previous session hadn't gone so well. Um, Some folks were – particularly my wife. But (laughs) – but it was the best game session ever. Um wife didn't
2: game uh, no one enjoyed your game.
1: Yeah, I I didn't did say no one enjoyed it, but it, it was not as enjoyable as it could have been. And um so I took some of their advice um which I kind of talked about it in the in the last episode and uh kind of retooled a couple of things and this next session that, or or the last very last session we played which was in September um ran a hundred times better. Um, I had the maps completed. I laid them all out and they were free to explore the island. There was a more traditional um, meeting with the, uh, with the indigenous people of the island, which is something that never really happens in the game itself. So Mm -hmm. I kind of stepped away from the actual script of the game, if you will, and, and went with a more free form type of, okay, these are the elements that are presented by the game
0: actually now let them just run, okay? And and that's fair. I mean, I've given that advice for a long time that if you're going to use an established setting, whether it's, you know, Forgotten Realms or a computer game setting or whatever, you have to be more than willing to take what you like about it and take the inspiration from it and then say, screw the rest of it. This is going to be my world and I'm going to blow it up and do whatever I want with it.
1: Right. And there are some... But I do like the story arc with it. And so some of those things I've kept. Yeah. But I've... um. But some of the things that you might only have a glancing look into, I've allowed the players to explore in depth. Well, one of the big things that I did kind of change is the fact that um, on the island, Gen, who is kind of the bad guy, he's Atrus' father. He's the one that thinks he's doing great stuff, writing this world so that it keeps fixing it, but he keeps screwing it up. And he's so arrogant. He doesn't realize this. And But one of the things he does to keep the natives in line is that he terrorizes them. On a regular basis, and he will, and he set up kind of this cult, and and um, that worship these things called warks, which are think of think of a whale and a shark combined, right? W h a r k or whatever it is, <laughs> it's a wark. But th- they're they're bloodthirsty creatures, and he has one trapped in this central uh, lake, which is uh, the village sits on on this lake. And so, if he, if a villager gets out of line, he'll execute him. He'll sacrifice him. He has this platform and a big tower, and he hangs them by their ankles, and are like a rotating—I mean, like an iris valve uh, thing—over the part that part of the lake, and the work comes up and will like eat the prisoner or whatever, right? So the players find all these structures out, and they talk to you know, Ginn isn't there at the time; Ginn's away doing his thing. But um, the villagers are are you know they become aware that there are other strangers on the island, and they start to get the idea that there are different factions on the island. But one of the things before the villagers are willing to give the PCs a lot of information is that, look, you got to do a favor for us. This work is driving us crazy. You know, Ginn keeps using it to threaten us and stuff. Ginn has a submarine up on the the cliff here, and it's like this little bathysphere-type submarine thing. And in the game... All you really do with the submarine is you go on this prescribed track, and you use it to visit other spots that you need for clues on the island. Well, I scrapped the track altogether, let them pilot the submarine wherever they want, and instead what the players had to do is use the submarine to fight the wark, to kill the wark. Now, I could have made this as a skill challenge, but I decided that, you know what? No. I think instead, what I'll do is I'll write up both things as creatures, and I based them. You know, I used the monster builder and I did some fooling around with different stuff, and um, and actually made the submarine a creature. But what I allowed the players to do is perform different functions for the creature. So, like one guy might have might be able to work the pinchers, which could make an attack. Okay. An, if, a melee attack, and then there was one that was a rechargeable where they could, like, uh, use a spear gun on the submarine. Instead of a torpedo, it used like, a spear gun type thing. Mm-hmm. But that was a rechargeable one. So, because there's a lot of kind of strange tech involved, and, you know, it's kind of, if you know much about the mist and type worlds, there's a little bit of a steampunk flavor to it. It's not what I'd call formal steampunk, but there's these elements of it. Yeah. So, so the the characters aren't from that environment, so they have to kind of, you know, futz around. So that's why those powers are rechargeable and stuff. One person actually has to pilot the thing. Um, and so so they used the submarine. Uh, oh, and there are a couple of players that are allowed to do what, the, what I call damage control. So they could kind of, like, heal the submarine if if they could recharge the ability to do it. And this is, like, working pumps and things like that. I explained it in such a way that they're, you know... They're fixing seals or they're tightening up valves or whatever, um, as the submarine now. Gets when you
0: did the recharge, was it just the standard monster recharge thing where you were yeah. only six? Absolutely. Uh, so see, it, could, it could have also been interesting to make it uh, skill based, so then they felt like their characters mattered and were doing were doing it, you know things in their real house.
1: Well, they did have to make a skill. It was kind of a two. Is it a two part? No, no, no. I, I that's what I did. I had to see if it could recharge, and then I had to see if they could. Um, if they had to use it. The the folks that were in charge of damage control actually had to make either... Um, he, I allowed them either to make a heal check or a dungeoneering check. Um, to me, dungeoneering is the closest thing to um, engineering, which is the closest thing that you use with machines. So that's the skill set I use. And um, so it's kind of a two-part thing. But they really really enjoyed that. They had to chase this work around and the work had kind of a rushing attack and it had just a bite attack. So I kept it simple because I didn't really want the focus to be on a bunch of these you know complicated combat moves or anything like that. And the nice thing about it is the lake is shallow enough. I basically said, you know, you guys are all fighting on a two-dimensional level. The the, the lake is really shallow there's not really room for two huge things and these are huge sized things so that all five players could fit inside the submarine um, could really maneuver around each other so there wasn't a lot of i didn't have to worry about 3d um combat in that way and um and so the players are having to the, the sub can only move so far and could only turn so far on its on its turn and it had the and they went in the players initiative order so it was a really interesting combat, and it, they eventually killed the wark, but um but they were sweating a few times, so they couldn't make a couple of repairs and because I had determined that if the you know the sub had was starting to get was was bloodied, it would start filling with water sure and and you know they would have to they would have to surface immediately or you know you start to drowning rules would start to apply it never quite got that far, but there were a couple of times it got kind of dicey and um and so was, but they really really enjoyed that and it was a unique enough experience that it it really um the game session went well anyway but it was really a uh um a nice piece to add to it um it's something that i'm kind of wanting to do in the future with other types of um uh with combat because i think that i mean with vehicles and stuff because i think there are easier ways I mean, there are vehicle combat rules, but I mm-hmm. don't really care for them. Yeah. I think they're complicated, you know. And I think you may not be able to get away from some of that, but um, but I but I loved what I what I did with it, and and the players seem to love it a lot too. And so I'm I'm really excited about getting the uh, um, the rest of the maps done and and continuing with the campaign. So. I find that
0: most of the time, if if you're going to do vehicle combat sort of stuff, it's 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 niche enough that it's better and more meaningful to just do like you did, just make something up for that for that instance. Right now, now if you're telling a, a your whole campaign is pirates, then maybe you have set oh, set, yeah. set standard sailing rules and you just stick to that. But, if, right. it, exactly. but but for set piece little fun encounters like that, you I think it's it's cool to just sort of make it up and, and forget the rules and do something that feels dynamic and interesting.
2: Right.
1: And, you know, it, and they both had comparable attacks and stuff. And, um, in fact, there was even one emergency attack that, that if they, um, if they used, there was like this electrical attack that the sub could do. But if they used it at the last, and it did a lot of damage, but if they used it, it automatically, um, used up the, it, it burned out the air circulator or whatever. So they would have to resurface in like three rounds if, once they used this power. Um, and so they were never quite, because they were getting the the work down real close, and they're like going, "Should we use the button? Should we use it? But what if we don't kill it? You know." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was really it, it it built some tension that was actually pretty cool. Did they eventually so, use it? No, they actually didn't. They they killed it with claw. And and at one point, the driver of the sub, he goes, "Well, can I run the sub into the work?" And I go, "Well, sure, why not?" You know. <laughs> and it wasn't a huge stack. I didn't allow him to give it a lot of damage. But it was um, something else that the pilot could do at the same time, and so they wore it down. And um, uh, the claws—they got really lucky on a lot of rolls and rolled pretty high on a lot of their damage with the with the claw attack. But uh, um, but it was a dy- dynamic combat, and it was kind of fun. So yeah. so the has been progressing. They were given a, as a result of you know they're kind of like heroes of the village now. At least they're very at least they're trusted at this point. And and because I had had the players' equipment all taken away from them. My ranger is like sweating the whole time because he's a bow ranger, and his, of course his bow is taken away. And um, the uh, the closest I could do is, and I go, well, these particular villagers they use, you know, they use darts and spheres, spears. They don't use bows. He goes, well, is there materials? And I finally I broke down. And I said, okay, I'll let you make a short bow. Any of the simple weapons on the on the player's handbook that are called that are considered simple, I'll let you make. I'll let you make those, or they'll provide those. So they have some primitive weapons now. Um, it's not all their stuff, but they will be able to gather some additional clues that will allow them to get to the location where their stuff is at. And um, so we'll see if next time they'll they'll manage to succeed. The one question that I have for you guys is that because I want to wrap up this campaign arc before D and D next comes out, which I'm thinking roughly a year at the longest. Um, cause I still like to start some D and D next. And I really, I've actually had to drop my D and D next, um, aspirations for now because I can't, I don't have time. I can play two weekends a month and, mm-hmm. and I, one game is I'm playing in as someone else's campaign and, and I'm running the other one. So, um, but what I'm thinking of is what do you guys f- think about or have you ever advanced your players quicker than just one level at a time? Because I'm thinking of each major where I would give out experience instead of just letting them raise one level, letting them raise two.
0: This is where I get to pimp my uh, – one of my players and uh, occasional contributor especially for book clubs, uh, Andy Meyer. OK. Uh, who you may be familiar with from the show um, and on Twitter. Yeah, I think I know who that is. Uh, he ran – well, I was taking a hiatus during our campaign. Uh, he ran a, a mini Dark Sun campaign for us. Okay. And, and he advanced us we, – we basically – we would play a session and then he would advance us five levels. And then we play a session. He advances five levels, and, he, and we did oh, okay. we did we did it that way. And it was just sort of little vignettes of really important moments in the in the history of these characters. But we got to play a one to thirty cam, campaign in like you know six or seven sessions.
1: Okay, and it worked out. You didn't feel well, like you were no, was missing brilliant. a lot or having an opportunity to play the powers. And no, stuff?
0: and it actually, it was just the right pacing because every time you played, you had a few new powers, but it, it, nothing was new enough that you felt like you were lost. And so by the time okay. you by the time you got to epic level where you got, you know, tons of stuff you can do, um I still felt like I knew how to do all of my stuff because I I gotten at least one session with, you know, two or three encounters to play with them and, and test them out.
1: Okay, well that's good. What about you, Mike? What's your
2: thoughts?
0: Um I've I've only up leveled characters more than
2: one uh level as a precursor to a game. So they started at 1, but I really wanted the game to start at 4. So okay. Well, pre- prelude and then suddenly jump to four. Uh, what What is the total level range you see for the game?
1: Um, they'll go into uh, – if they're at least – I'd like to get them the most of the way through Epic or at least halfway through Epic before wrapping it up.
2: And where are they uh, now? They're at 11th right now. Pretty advanced players? I mean they, they know their way around the game pretty well? Yeah, they've all been playing well over a year, so – yeah, so cuz the problem is they're going to get so much stuff mm-hmm. pretty quickly um that you know they they're, they're going to kind of lose touch with their they they might lose touch with their characters a little bit. Okay. Um you know that like they're just getting so many new powers that they're kind of losing track of what they got and 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 things like that. If you if you go really easy on magic items, like switch them over to inherent bonuses, Go really, really easy on magic items, so like they only get maybe one. Right. That helps. Here. Then that way they're not getting overly complicated with items. And that means focus, you know, they you're you're kind of balancing their advanced growth in levels by reducing the amount of power that they get in items.
0: Because usually they'll get like two or three pages worth of items. Right. Okay. That's one of the things that helped with the Dark Sun game, right? Is that we were using inherent bonuses. Yeah, yeah. I
1: haven't gotten a lot of experience with them, but I'll have, to, I'll have to. I'll check into that. I'm not sure if my players will be interested in that, but we'll see what happens.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. A lot of items.
1: They have. It's hard for me to judge because I do not. I never believed in the regardless of how the math works out, Mike. And I know that the math works out in such a way. I have not been real, real critical about making sure they have the exact amount of items that they need for
2: their level. This is the beauty of inheritance bonuses if you give them inheritance bonuses, you never have to worry about what items you give them again
0: and right the math, and that math works
1: and that Next. may be the way I want to do that, and I, maybe I should do it that way and,
0: and now might be the perfect time to make the transition because you talked about how you took away all their items right and they can another power in, instead you could, you could work it into the story that this advanced growth
2: of theirs like maybe that's actually here's it you know what if it's actually a danger they're aging too quickly but, you know energy is going through. <laughs> have to stop it so it's like wow i'm getting all this power but there's an end i'm gonna hit a brick wall and fall apart
0: Uh. um
2: and at the meantime like something's happened to magic items and it doesn't you know there's 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 really only you know there's really only five left and it's you know whatever their epic item is you know what's their i always like the idea of like their their signature item that they want that makes sense for their character you know the the crazy bow and those could be rare items from Mm -hmm. from the process from morning cannons and whatnot but there's only and it's a major quest thing for them to go get it. And so these you know, inherent bonuses are inherent attack and what defense bonuses? It's it's uh, it boosts their attack, uh, their attack bonus, their damage bonus, their uh, critical hit uh, dice, and their defense bonuses all at the same time. Right. Okay. And, and this is something that you could set up using the um,
1: the builder, right? Yeah. You just check. It. You just tick a little box, and it does all the math for you. That says you know, use inherent bonuses, does it take off the magic stuff when it does that
2: no. it doesn't act with magic stuff, and if they equip a magic item, I think
0: you cut out there, Mike, yeah, oh, am I still cutting out or am I okay? you've been cutting you've been cutting in and out all night, but I can hear you now um the uh
2: inherent the a magic- if if they equip a magic item, it will supersede the inherent bonus, I believe right. Um, it will not stack with the inherent bonus. Yep, that's right. Okay, so it'll take whichever's higher, then. Yes. Now I don't know if it takes whatever is higher. I think if they have a magic item equipped, that's the bonus they get. So if it's- uh, I think I think Uh-oh. it ta- I, think,
0: I think it takes whatever whichever is highest. That's that's what I ran into with my um with my dark sun character is I kept not thinking straight and getting items that then were almost useless to me because the bonus was lower than what I was getting for inherent, and so they just did no good for me.
2: So I mean yeah. I. I think magic items in four e kind of get out of hand anyway, so and the yeah. nice thing about bonuses is you're you're you know you only have to give them a couple and right. um and then they can because they're they're growing faster in level uh they're getting a lot of stuff anyway
1: right okay that's a good thing i i'll have to i'll talk i probably won't do it for the next session, but i think uh, which is coming up in a couple of weeks but or in a few weeks but um I think I will discuss it with them at the next game though and see what they think about that. And see how, it, I'll see if they, you know, right now does your stuff seem adequate for your level? If it doesn't, then, you know, we can Let's let's talk about inherent bonuses, and we, then I won't really worry so much about magic items, and we'll just go from there. So.
0: Well, and again, if, if they're currently without magic items, then that is the perfect time to have that conversation. You know, is this is this a solution you'd be open to instead of re, reacquiring right. items again? You know,
1: yeah, but they will get their stuff back. I'm almost certain they'll figure out how to get their stuff back. I'm just yeah.
0: Well, but and, yeah. if, and if you go with inherent bonuses, you can almost just say you know maybe they don't get it back, or it was destroyed, or some of it's that still good, but some of it's not, or whatever. Well, you can still use the like. Daily
1: stuff on the magic items and things like yeah, that. Yeah, right? I mean, yep.
0: yeah, yeah, but that the,
2: the point is that you know they might not get anything better again, right? You might right. Not get anything better, uh, okay. but the idea is you want to generally simplify what they're gonna. If you're gonna yeah. give them extra things, you're gonna want to simplify what they get, right?
1: Yep. And the bonuses simply won't. They just won't count because it-
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of them yeah. just won't stack. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think we're hey, good on mice. time. We're at an hour and two minutes and 31 seconds without ads edited in yet or intros and things. So I think it's time to call it quits. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors, Continue Magazine and Noble Knight. Go to their various websites linked in the show notes at thetomeshow.com um, and make sure you tell them that we sent you. And uh, that's that. And I just realized I forgot to write down the timestamp for Noble Knight so I could remember where to edit in the ad. I'll just to listen now. Dang. All right. Everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Good night. Happy birthday. Hey, thanks.